0: Thank you, Pastor Anna, for encouraging us to get into uh, some togetherness in the process of learning, and I just appreciate Pastor Anna's leadership. Great to see Pastor Emily back. She had a month off, and it's just great to see her back in the mix, hear her voice. So hey, welcome her back, would you please? Thank you. Great to have Trevor and Katrina back. They're familiar to us, friends of the bridge, We are friends of theirs and uh, we're just so grateful to have them leading in worship this morning. Uh, It's good to be here. If I haven't had a chance to say Happy New Year to you, Happy New Year. And um, may God bless your 2024. And may He just absolutely, right from the outset, right right on through, may He bless you. I hope you're in a reading plan from the, the Bible. There's so many ways to read through the Bible. This is a great time for you to get a hold of a reading plan. Just look up reading plans for Bible reading. And um, there's so many different ways to approach the Bible. And so read through the Bible this year, give it a go, give it a good shot. And um, also, I hope that you're, you're investing in prayer time and just growing your spirit over this next 2024. I'm going to be beginning a new series today, and it's in the book of James. I'm excited to be Bringing to you this series, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road as it would relate to Christian faith. And it's that place where that which we talk about needs to become real. And the book of James is all about that. It's all about that which we talk about needing to become real. And there is faith, but then there is the working out of your faith. And the book of James is all about that the working out of your faith. It was written by Jesus' brother, James, and uh, it was, it was uh, written by him uh, sometime later uh, in the history of the beginning of the church, and it was for us to teach us how to live through several different scenarios and how to, to gain from God's wisdom, how to ask God for wisdom, and to sort of make into practice what it is that we believe. So our first text for this morning comes from James chapter one, verses two through six. Initially there's an introduction and then there's a teaching. And what I want to do is I want to read the text and then we'll go through a teaching on the text this morning. So here's what James says. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, uh, sorry, sorry, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you but when you ask, you must ask and believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And that whole concept of being blown and tossed by the wind is indicative of a lack of maturity. Jesus uses the phrase, Paul uses the phrase, this idea of being tossed and blown by the wind meaning there's no roots, meaning you're affected by circumstances and you're moved by them. And by moved, I mean you are, you are unhinged, if I might say. You are unhinged by circumstances. And what James would say to us is that we ought not to be tossed to and fro by the wind, but rather we ought to be stolid or solid That we ought to be rooted. And maturity looks like that. Maturity is not moved based on circumstances. In fact, maturity is a process of being unmoved while trusting in God. And so he lays that out for us and gives us a picture of what maturity looks like. The book of James all throughout is a book about Christian being, or Christians being mature. So the message of James is that those who have truly, truly been saved by the gospel must manifest that salvation in practical ways in their lives. A transformed life of love for others should be the result of God's love in you. The grand theme of this book of James is wisdom. And much like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, James should be seen as an example of Jewish wisdom literature. You know, if you read through the Proverbs, you get all these tidbits of, of beautiful wisdom that you can build and frame your life around. James is the New Testament version of that. It really is. And James should be seen as the example of that. Wisdom in Jewish tradition and scripture does not refer to intelligence in a strictly intellectual way, but rather in upright living. The kind of wisdom that Proverbs brings us or the kind of wisdom that James brings us is wisdom that leads to upright living or righteous living or doing the right thing. That is the kind of wisdom that is being referred to in the wisdom literature of the Bible. So to live wisely is to act out with humble integrity. So the letter of James enables God's people to flourish as they journey through life in this fallen world in which we're in. The fallen world represents circumstances and brokenness and, and trials and tribulations. And it's, we're steeped in that, in our humanity. And James is encouraging us to flourish in the midst of our brokenness. Very important. Throughout the whole book, he's emphasizing this over and over and over again. It's for those who, those sinners, have been redeemed by Christ. Indeed, Jesus himself is the true ultimate embodiment of wisdom. He's the one who became for us the wisdom from God, the righteousness, the sanctification, and the redemption. It's interesting that Jesus' brother, Jesus' brother, James, sees in his sibling that he was God's answer for humanity, not just in terms of what he did on the cross, but in terms of the wisdom that he shared with his disciples. And James picks up on that and becomes a perpetuator, or one who perpetuates that wisdom. And as with Proverbs, the main point of James is that this godly wisdom works. It works in our relationships, it works in our workplaces, it works in our church. It works in our neighborhoods and it works in our own lives. So today we'll become wise in how we profit from our problems and that's what I I wanna go to today. How can we learn and grow and profit from life when it's not all that we want it to be or we think that it should be? So this this part of the book of James is kind of a how-to manual in managing your problems. So when you write a letter, you formally sort of, you normally figure that the person who's writing the letter will warm up and just sort of share some greetings and and, and just sort of ease his way into some understandings. But, But James is a very direct leader. And what he says to us, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, of many kinds. So James is sort of, sort of slapping us in the face, saying, look, here's the deal. Consider it joy when you're going through a rough time. This is what he's saying to us. Consider it joy. This is how he starts the book. He's saying, look, while life is hard, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, that fact. While life is hard, joy ought to be your lot, that's how he opens up the book of James. So how'd you like to get a letter like that? This is a letter from from James saying you got problems, I want you to be happy in the midst of your problems. And you might be saying here there's no way that I can be happy based on what I'm experiencing right now, but James would say you need to understand what it is that you know in order for you to be able to be joyous and happy. In fact, he uses the phrase, because you know, you can consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. What is it that you know? He says, because you know. What is it that you know? So what I want to do is I want to share four facts with you. It's what we know based upon this scripture. And Paul, or Paul, James lays it out for us. So the four facts of life that we need to know, the first one is this, problems are inevitable. Problems are inevitable. Scripture doesn't say if you encounter problems, consider it joy. It says rather whenever you consider, or whenever you experience problems, consider it pure joy. He says, you can count on it. You're going to have problems. If you don't have problems, check your pulse. Check your pulse. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Peter said, don't be surprised when you have problems. Count on it. Problems are not an elective in life. They are a required course. You don't, get, you don't get out of them by saying that you don't want to have problems. Nobody is immune from the difficulties that are in life. I was quite naive in my college days. I used to sort of pray for trials because I was, you know, I was one of those keeners, and I, I wanted to grow, and I wanted to mature, and I was hearing my profs teach through James, and I was hearing my, my pastors preach through the Bible, and they would say that trials are good for you, and so I would pray for problems and pray for trials, and I've since stopped doing that. <laughs> yeah, I've stopped. But I thought I needed to pray for trials, uh, and then the next day, you know, my, my car blows up. truly. Truly. And, and I was reading Scott Peck's book, which is a great book, The Road Less Traveled. And, and in the very beginning, he writes, life is difficult. Scott Peck, one of the great, great psychiatrists, also a Christian, by the way, begins his volume, which has sold probably 20, 30 million copies now. And he begins by saying, life is difficult. And he spends the rest of the book calling you to accept that fact he talks about neuroses as the process of running from that fact do you know that James is doing the exact same thing here he's saying life is difficult it's difficult so what are we going to do how are we going to benefit and prosper from that which is difficult So the first thing we learn, the fact of life is, is that problems are inevitable. The second thing we learn is that problems are unpredictable. He says, whenever you face problems, and that word face in the Greek is parapetito, and it literally means to fall into unexpectedly. It's the same word used in the story of the Good Samaritan where the man fell among thieves. He didn't plan for that. He fell among thieves. It was unexpected. Trials are not. Plan for we seldom can anticipate the problems that we 're going to experience in life. We spend a great deal of time planning, avoiding strategically moving in a point of direction, thinking about all the challenges that we 're going to face, sure enough, but the truth of the matter is is life cannot be controlled to the degree where we can control all of our problems. Things come upon us, we fall upon troublesome circumstances. It's a fact of life. We seldom can anticipate the problems that we're going to experience. That's probably a good thing because if we could anticipate them, we'd run the other way and we wouldn't benefit or profit from the very problems that God is wanting to take us through. The story of a guy who was riding the New York subway for the very first time, he got motion sickness standing there and he was cramped next to the, to the door that he was to exit and the subway stops suddenly, the door opens, he loses his lunch over everyone who is standing there and then the door closes before he can gain his composure and leaves once again. Now that was unintended problem for him and for everyone who was standing waiting to get on that, on that train at that time. This is what life could be like. Kind of graphic. Sorry for the graphic nature of that. Kind of graphic. But that kind of is what life is like. It comes upon us wholly unexpectedly. Another fact related to problems. The third fact is problems are of many kinds. They are diverse. They come in all shapes and sizes. One thing about problems, you don't don't get bored with them. There are a wide variety of them. Have you ever tried to match paint? The word in the Greek for many kinds is literally multicolored. There are problems of many shades and many varieties that you and I are gonna face in life. They vary with intensity. They vary in variety, they vary in duration. Some are minor inconveniences, but a 24 hour blip on the radar screen. Some are major crises. We have all kinds of shapes related to our problems. And they come in more than 31 flavors, for sure. Some problems are custom made, and we kinda know it when God is working in our life with a very specific problem. So, number four, problems are also purposeful. They're purposeful. They have a purpose. Pain can be productive. Pressure produces. Suffering can accomplish something. It has value in our lives. What value? Well, let me just share three purposes to our problems. Number one, problems purify my faith. He uses the word testing. James uses the word testing. As in testing gold and silver. You would heat them up very hot until all the impurities, or there's this word called dross, all that shouldn't be in the gold gets burned out of it. And it becomes purer, more valuable, as it should be. So this dross gets burned off. Job, who new problems. In fact, he's kind of, for Christians, the problem hero. In other words, Job went through more than really any other human being in terms of human suffering. And he is a wonderful story in the Bible, the story of someone who maintained his faith through the most adverse circumstances, And he says this, he says, he has tested me through the refining fire and I have come out as pure gold. The first things trials do is test our faith. They purify us. And Christians are a lot like tea bags. You don't know what's inside until you drop them in hot water. Then you know. Your faith. Develops when things don't go as planned. Your faith develops when you don't feel like you're doing. Uh, you're, sorry, what's what you do Sorry, you don't feel like you're in the place and or doing what is right. It purifies your faith. These circumstances, Christians are like steel. When they're tested, they come out stronger. The three year journey through COVID which we all experienced, and through the church being built, was definitely a testing time. I remember in the fall of 2020, we were into the COVID season. And I think it was actually the fall of 2021. It was, we were actually already into it for well over a year. And we had a gathering of leaders, and we were going to be meeting at a church that wasn't ours, during a time that wasn't ours, three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, a dreadful time, apparently. And then we were also not going to be meeting in our own place, but another, person, or another church. And so there were so many things that were adverse, if I could say. And what I shared with the leaders back then in that fall of 2021 was, we're going to see what we're made of as a church. We're going to see what we're made of as a church. Rarely does a church have an opportunity to actually see what they're made of. And so we, we learned a lot about ourselves, collectively as a church, individually as people, as we made our way through a season that was surely less than ideal. And I won't share with you entirely all that we learned. But we learned that we had some growing to do. Some maturing to experience. So number two, related to the purposes of our problems and and how God uses problems in a very purposeful way. Problems fortify our patience. The testing of your faith develops perseverance, the text says. He's talking about staying power, not a passive patience, but a staying power. He's talking about endurance, the ability to keep on going, the ability to hang in there. And, and the Greek here literally says it's the ability to stay under pressure. It's the ability to stay under pressure. We don't, we don't like pressure, we prefer Disneyland. We do. But God uses problems and pressure in our lives to teach us how to handle it, how to bear up under it, how to not give up. And there was a time in my life where I prayed for patience, as I've shared, and the problems certainly did get worse. But finally, after a while, I realized that I was becoming more and more patient. I was becoming stronger in bearing up under adverse circumstances. How does God teach you patience? By everything going your way, no. God teaches you patience in a traffic jam. He teaches you patience in a grocery line. Actually, he teaches you patience at those self checkouts. That, he teaches you, check. Yeah, there may not be a line anymore, but those self-checkouts, they're from the pit. Honestly, they, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I shouldn't say that, but, but, but they're, they're so challenging at times. But anyway, we live in a comfortable and convenient society. Everybody wants it now. If I can't have it now, then forget it. But endurance, It actually is built up as we experience and have to exercise patience, even in the infinitesimal or apparently innocuous things that we experience on a day-to-day basis like self-checkout machines. Number three, problems sanctify our character. That word sanctify is a religious-sounding word. It simply means purifies or it means to make holy which means to make more like Jesus. To make more like Jesus. So problems make us more like Jesus in our character. They make me like Jesus. They help me to mature, they help me to grow. The testing of your faith, the text says, produces perseverance that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. That's God's long range goal. His ultimate purpose is maturity. God wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. In the Christian life, character is the bottom line. So many Christians I talk to have absolutely no idea what God's agenda is in their life, and I can tell you simply it's to build your character. God's agenda, his plan in your life, is to grow you to become more and more like his son, Jesus. And he uses a variety of circumstances to move us along towards that reality. Through the word of God in John 17, 17, it says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And in James chapter one, 22 to 25, it says, the word makes us like Jesus. It builds our character. It matures us. But even if you read the Bible two hours a day, how many hours of your life you're, you're not reading God's word, God demands even more in this second way that through your problems you glorify him through personally growing. You glorify him through personally growing. In other words, you, 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 bring, you bring the spotlight to God as you let people know that he is carrying you through. I got a friend that every time I ask him how he's doing, he says to me, by the grace of God, I'm good. And some of you already know who I'm talking about. By the grace of God, I'm doing well, Pastor. And what he's saying by saying that is, it's God who gets me through. And so he's learned that it's by God's grace, God's love, that he gets to a better place in life every time. In Galatians 5.22, it reveals some of the purposes of pain. It sort of of brings you to a place where you can see the designation or the landing spots of pain. In other words, here's where pain gets you. Okay? So in Galatians 5.22 it says, the fruit of the spirit. Now the fruit of the spirit is found out and exercised in the problems of our life and in the pain that we experience. But here's the byproduct of our pain. And this is what James said at the very beginning. The byproduct of our pain is love. It's joy. Remember, James says, count it all joy. It's joy. It's peace. It's forbearance. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. And it's self-control. So what James is saying, and what Paul is saying in that text, is pain and problems develop endurance in our life so that we can bear the fruit of God under the Spirit of God in a very common way. Not an uncommon way, but in a predictable way. We know that, let's say, this person, if they're going through a tough time, we can trust that they will bear up. They will still express joy and love. They will exercise self-control. We know that about them. And, and we usually put our trust in people who can exercise that. In fact, the Bible teaches us that, that we're to check out the character of our leaders so that they show these sort of, uh, these, these indications of growth and maturity. And so leaders should be full of joy. They should be full of peace. They should be full of self-control. So it's through the circumstances of life. Here's where James says it all hits the road. So many Christians today I meet say everything was going great when I first became a believer. Then all these problems came. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm really not saved. Maybe I missed the boat. And what James would say, not what Brian would say, but what James would say, and we've heard from Paul, and we've heard from Jesus, and we've heard from Peter this morning too, they would all say, no, no, no. Just because life is hard doesn't mean God left you. In fact, he's actually imminently close to you in the midst of your pain to grow you. He's engaged, he's involved, He has not left the scene. God is there. And he is about to fulfill a purpose in your life. We must believe this. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. In other words, he takes responsibility for building us up in our human experience. So how do we handle our problems? Real quick going to run through three things with you. Number one, we're called upon by God, by James, to consider it pure joy whenever you face trouble. So rejoicing is something that God calls us to do. Don't misunderstand what he's saying. He's not saying fake it. He's not saying put on a plastic, plastic uh, smile. He's not saying pretend or be in Pollyanna. God never asked you to deny reality. He doesn't Mean some kind of psychological pump up based on nothing. He's also not talking about masochism, whereby you say, oh, I'm so glad I'm suffering today. No, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about that. What he's saying is, is thank God in the situation, knowing and trusting that he is bringing about something good. He is bringing out a good end. Ultimately, even the worst things that happen in our life, if we trust God, he will bring about a good end, a fulfilled purpose. He never, ever wastes our pain or our losses. Ever. 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 Never God never wastes a pain, and so what James is saying, look, rejoice knowing this. Rejoice knowing this. Rejoice knowing this. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. I love listening to Mason Rudolph, the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers yesterday. He's not a very oft-used quarterback. He's been sitting the bench for years, and you know, there hasn't been a great, great deal of appreciation for his his skills. And but Pittsburgh got put in a place this year where the quarterback of choice was injured. And who do they go to? They look down the bench. Second string's gone. First string's gone. They're looking at Mason. Mason's like, I'm good. Mason Rudolph has come off the bench in the last two or three games and hopefully as a result of some things today, the Pittsburgh Steelers will make their way into the playoffs because of a guy who made it work. And they interviewed him afterwards and, and I, th- I asked sure the, the woman expected his answer. She said, so what is it like for you to come off the bench in the last three games to win the three most important games for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year what is it like for you because they really weren't seeing this in you and he just smiled and said you know i'm just i'm just thankful and and she said well why are you thankful and he said well i've already achieved my dream like i'm a i'm an nfl quarterback whether i'm sitting on the bench or or not and he said and i'm really thankful to god for all the experiences that i've had even if they're less than and he said and the fact that I've been able to put together a th- three good games, bonus, bonus. That's someone of character. That's someone who doesn't sit on the bench bemoaning the fact that he's not being used. He sits waiting as God is building into him. He waits and he waits and he waits and he manages his disappointments, and he trusts God that no matter what, his life is in God's hands, and now everyone thinks he's a hero. Not that that's the point, but for such a time as this, after waiting and suffering in the waiting, God puts a spotlight on him, and what does he do? He gives the glory to God something good happening in his life, glory is being given to God. It's a beautiful thing, and that's the working of God when it comes to us having to live through adverse circumstances. So we're to rejoice, we're to give thanks. Secondly, we are to request, we are to pray. In verse five, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to them. So there is this thing of, when you're in the midst of a problem, the big question of why. The big question of when. The big question of how. The big question of who. The big question of where. These big questions are ours. And we live under the weight of them while life is less than ideal. And, and James is saying, look, when you're in that state, just ask God for wisdom and the wisdom that he brings may not be an immediate solution to the problem, but he might give you wisdom related to where you need to grow while working through the problem. Or he might give you wisdom as to what he's really doing in the grand scheme of things. So we're to rejoice, we're to request, and finally, we're to relax. Trust God to know what is best for your life cooperate with his purpose so that you don't short circuit the process that's called faith and when he asks he must believe so as not to doubt is what James says so when we ask for this wisdom we don't doubt we wait patiently for God to do his work The truth is is God wants or sorry the truth is is the Bible teaches us that the devil wants to use our problems to defeat us. God wants to use our problems to grow us. And that's the truth, and that is the truth that comes through in the book of James over and over and over again. Some of you are here, and you're going through some tough times right now. It's pretty hard, and it hurts. I want you to know that God cares. I want you to know that God's involved. He's with you. And I want you to know that God has a purpose in it. And I want you to know that he wants you to trust him. And you can do that by rejoicing. You can do that by requesting of him. And you can do that by relaxing in him. There's a fantastic promise just a few verses later in this text in verse 12 where it says, blessed is the person who perseveres under trial, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So much in that verse, we tend to think, yeah, yeah, when I get to heaven, I'll have a crown, but what's going on here? That's not actually what this text means. There's a whole sermon on this text, but I'll just say this. The crown of life is literally the eternal wisdom of God, the heavenlies, invading your consciousness in the now. The crown of life is you seeing God at work in the now. The crown of life is you being able to have joy and peace and patience and kindness and forbearance and self-control in the now. That's the crown of life. The crown of life is life as God meant for it to be. And we're called upon by James to believe God and to trust in God so that he can affect that crown in our lives, wherever it is and whatever it is that we're going through. I want you to pray with me if you would. Father, this series in James is important It's important. James is parenting us. He's empowering us. He's repurposing us. He not only helps us through our problems, but he helps us help those who are in the midst of problems. This is a wonderful book, and I'm so excited to be going through it together with my brothers and sisters here, and I pray for you to pour out your spirit amongst us so that we can grow up and not suffer unnecessarily. Lord, fulfill your purposes in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.